I just wish that somebody would have validated to me that not everyone goes through this. Like this Mm -hmm. is not how it's supposed to be because I just accepted it for almost two decades that this was just how it was. And that is not how it is. And you have no quality of life. Like if you're living like that, just full stop, not normal. You're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. Welcome back to the Well Women Podcast. You're listening to episode 234, and this is episode three of our Menstruation Stories mini-series. Over the number of weeks, we are going to be covering and interviewing some beautiful souls in the world around their own personal menstrual experiences. Many of these guests have already been guests on the show and you have loved them so much. So we've invited them back to talk about their personal experiences. And today on the show, we have Jess Hagen. Jess is an educator around menstruation and periods and is an integrative menstrual health coach who specializes specifically in cyclical reproductive mood disorder, also known as premenstrual dysphoric disorder. She is the lead menstruator at Her Mood Mentor, and she works with people one-on-one and in groups to help empower, educate, and support all menstruators through learning to reduce and better manage severe premenstrual symptoms. Now, Jess has already been a guest on our show, and so I encourage you to go back and check out her episode. You will find her at episode 192. It's healing PMS, PMDD, and mood swings with Jess Hagen. So that episode is all about education around PMDD and PMS. Whereas in this episode, Jess is sharing her own personal experiences with being a menstruator and discovering that she had PMDD herself, what it's like to live with PMDD and her own transitions into unraveling and discovering how to live a balanced cycle and manage her symptoms. This is a really beautiful and juicy story. I'm really loving this menstruation story series already, and I hope that you're going to enjoy this deep dive and real vulnerable conversation with Jess. Jess, welcome back to the show. Hi, Gemma. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy too. Just before we hit record, literally a few seconds ago, I said, this is the first episode of the series we've recorded. And I feel like saying, welcome to Menstruation Matters or something like that, because we're chatting all real conversations about menstrual experiences. And I'm so, so, so blessed to have you share your experience with us. So thank you for making this beautiful slice of time to be here. Thank you so now, much, Gemma. You're welcome and you're worth it. It's an honor. Um, but let's get started with what day of your cycle you're on and how are you tuning and checking in today in your cycle? Mm, such a great question. So I am on cycle day eight. So working towards ovulation and I just had a bunch of family in town. So I'm kind of on a reset, getting my energy back, focusing on myself, tidying the house up and trying to kind of gear up for the week. It's a Monday and yeah, I'm really excited to jump in. Oh, I like that gearing up for the week. I want to just give a bit of preface about who you are because people mm-hmm. like this episode's not about your line of work as such, but it's more about you personally. And I think 
understanding your own personal menstrual experience, having already had a chat with you. So if people don't know, please come and check out Jess on the website and look her up her previous episode. However, you are a period educator and an integrative menstrual health coach, and you specifically specialize in reproductive mood disorders like PMDD and PMS, right? So I want to know, let's get right into it. I want to know what was your first period like, your first menstruation? We could also call that your menarche. And how did you get like into the world of wanting to be an educator for people who experience PMDD? So there's some big links in there, I know. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about your first ever period experience. Like what was that like for you? Oh, Gemma, it's quite the story. I will keep it short, (laughs) but, um, I wanted to get my period so badly. I always, when I was a child, I always just wanted to grow up and be a woman. It was something that I deeply desired and I was very impatient. And I saw that transition of menstruation as kind of, you know, being that mark of, okay, I'm, I'm finally going to become what I want to to become a woman, you know? (laughs) Um, So I was really looking forward to it and it did not play out as I would have, as as I was expecting. It was completely different than um, that. I had a little, you know, I had a talk from my mother, nothing in depth. We went through some minor sex education in seventh grade, nothing too remarkable, as you know, (laughs) Um, And I was just waiting for the day, you know, my friends were getting their periods and I was just so excited. And the way it played out was quite funny. So my parents left on a trip and, you know, it can come anytime, but, but no one's really prepared when it actually does, it seems. And so I was staying with my grandmother. My parents were on a cruise. I was 13. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And I was 13 and my grandmother was, you know, postmenopausal and not stocked with period products. And when it started, I had expected it to be this red flowing, very obvious experience, right? Like a period, like we had been taught, you know, what that's going to be like, it's going to, you're going to bleed through your pants and that's scary and maybe might be embarrassing. You know, I was prepared for that. What I experienced was very different. It was just light brown spotting. So I didn't really notice that I was having my period. This was going on for a few days, but it wasn't abundant. It wasn't super obvious to me. I was just thinking, hmm, I don't really know what's going on here. My grandmother was doing laundry and she came up to me and she said, Gemma, she said, now I know why you've been being so mean to your brother. (laughs) Oh, really? Wow. (laughs) Yes. And she told me that I had gotten my period and she then safety penned a sock to my underwear. (laughs) Wow. Because she didn't have any, she didn't have any panty liners or anything. That's nothing. Yes. A sock, not, not toilet paper, a sock. (laughs) Safety penned, mind you. (laughs) Very, very sharp safe. object near my vulva. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> and then she proceeded to ask my grandfather to go buy some menstrual products. So it's a huge joke in our family. It just, you know, do you need a sock? <laughs> wow. What a, a unique experience. Thank you for sharing and being so vulnerable. <laughs> 
also uh, something that comes to mind is just the art of grandmotherhood and that, mm. you know, she's she would have been a menstrual woman for roughly 40 years, give or take having births in between that. And that she's like, oh, no, you definitely have your period. How did that feel for you at that time that it was a different experience to what you had expected? And why had you expected it to be that way? Like had your friends Mm -hmm. experienced it in that way? And you're like, oh, it's going to be this beautiful red waterfall and I'm just going to know straight away. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you can answer those questions, um, I think we're going to love listening to the answers. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone ever really got into the details of what it was like, you know, the viscosity, the, the volume, um, when it actually happened to them, you know, Mm. we didn't really, I don't think that we had the language to talk about it in that way. And it still is pretty taboo. Even now, if I, go to some of my friends who aren't as acquainted with what the work that I do. And I just start talking about the quality of my period blood. I don't know how it will be received, you know, even though I champion that. Um, So I think it was just some misconceptions and a lack of education on what it could look like and would potentially look like. And so it, it was kind of I I remember being a little bit bummed because I didn't get to have that moment of I'm having my period, you know, with myself, someone had to tell me, and it was this kind of awkward, like, this is why you've been being so mean, which is (laughs) was kind of painful to hear, you know, hear that Um, 13 year old confusing. Yeah, it was very, it was confusing. And it was an experience that I had expected to share with my mother. My mother and I are very close and she just wasn't there, you know? And so it, I don't think I knew I had expectations until it happened, you know? And then it was like, oh, that's not what I expected. (laughs) But all in all, I think I was glad to get it. I was certainly calling my friends and some of my friends that I called because I was so excited. They, one of my best friends had told me, oh, I, yeah, I got mine, you know, like a month ago or something. And I was so hurt that she hadn't told me because this was such an exciting thing, but not everyone felt that way, obviously, which I also Mm -hmm. learned in the moment. Why do you think you were so excited about it? It really, I really think it was that drive of just, I want to be an adult. I want to do my thing. I want to have some agency in my body. And that was a step towards Mm. that. Yeah, It's like that feeling like I'm officially a woman. I can make my own decisions. You know, I'm still a 13 year old, but I can make my own decisions now. This episode is proudly sponsored by USANA Health Sciences, my number one nutritional supplement choice. I've been using these products and paying to use these products for well over 10 years because their quality far exceeds the rest. Yep, they're manufactured to a pharmaceutical grading, which means they're made to the highest standards of manufacturing for nutritional products in the world. Personally, every day I use these products, just a part of my healthy regime, just like brushing my teeth. I've found their products to really be transformative for my own personal PCOS journey, keeping my skin radiant, my energy balanced, and a healthy digestive system. Every day I use the prenatal cell essentials because I believe a prenatal is a foundation for all types of cycle health, not just for preconception and pregnancy, a mercury-free fish oil, a probiotic to support my past leaky gut experience, 
and of course, a magnesium calcium with vitamin D. This blend is fantastic for my inner autumn and I always take a little bit more before I begin bleeding so I have a smooth transition into my next menstrual cycle. To learn more and try these products and discover them for yourself, I have a cheeky up to 20% discount for you. Head to gemmalee.usana.com to learn more and save. That's gemmalee.usana.com. So what was it like for the first few years of menstruating? I know there's a lot of miseducation, as you would know, too, about menarche and those first few early years of menstruation. We're slowly starting to you know, inform young menstruators and supporters of young menstruators about those. But what were your first few years experience? Like after first spotting for your first ever bleed, you know, what did the first one to three years look like for you as a menstruator? Mm-hmm. Very tumultuous. Again, not what I was hoping for. <laughs> I think I would, when it was happening, I was wishing I could go back um, because it was very every cycle, which I wasn't really able to be self-aware at the time, but I just, all of a sudden my life kind of turned in this, into this just turmoil and drama And it was unclear, well, is this just part of being a teenager or what's going on here? But it was quite a shift psychologically. Um, And looking back, you know, I have language and I have terminology to be able to kind of qualify and, and process that experience. But at the time it was pretty brutal, to be honest. Um, A lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, um, disordered eating habits, um, some self-harming behaviors that ultimately were stemming from my menstrual cycle, actually, which still seems shocking to say, you know, it's hard to connect how much the menstrual cycle can impact our mental health. But from the beginning, it was major uh, changer in, in the trajectory of my life. Now look at you. <laughs> a part of me is like, well, that underlying passion for the period before you began Menarch is still present. It's still kicking under there that whole time. So let's talk about, because I think this is a real, like mental health is a really, really important topic around the menstrual cycle, because I feel a lot of teenagers, you know, I was a bit later than you, I was 15 and a half. And I feel a lot of teenagers, their parents or the adults around them, whether that's school teachers or aunties or uncles or sports coaches or whatever it might be, they're like, oh, she's being so moody and she's a little bitch. You know, I can't (laughs) handle her. She's just not that kid we used to love anymore or whatever it Mm. might be. And I think, you know, if there's men listening to this, thanks for listening and tuning in. But I think it's really important for everyone to have the understanding of what it's actually like to feel debilitated in your mental health because of your menstrual cycle. So I'd love for you to share what that actually feels like, because there are some menstruators like myself. I've never had that experience. You know, I've never had the debilitation. I've had it once, (laughs) which wasn't because of my menstruation. It was because of a, an unplanned pregnancy around a lot of infidelity. So a very different reason, But even just that chunk of a couple of months of my life were extremely debilitating. And I, you know, I don't want to say I could never imagine because I can imagine, 
but I could never fully understand because it's never been a personal experience for me long-term. So as a young teenager, experiencing these big shifts after what you once expected to be the, the most beautiful blossoming experience for you, what was it like to live in that situation? And then knowing what you now know today, what would you do differently to feel supported or ask for support or to support yourself? Yeah, those are such great questions. questions. And they're (laughs) big questions too. Yeah. And, and there's kind of um, such a distinction between what was happening then, because there were so many unknowns. I didn't know. I mean, PMDD wasn't even in the DSM, right? Mm -hmm. Even close to being in the DSM at the time that I started menstruating. So there really wasn't the language for it. It was a stigma. Oh, she's moody. Oh, PMSing, stay away from her. You know, some very negative stigmas around it. Um, but I was so sucked into the experience. Like I want, I want to use some metaphors. Cause I think that is going to help describe it Please. is when I talk with people about, yeah. When I talk with people about PMDD, I'm kind of like, it's like trying to describe what chocolate tastes like to someone who's never had chocolate. I don't really know how you fully do that. Right but I can use some metaphors to help. So, you know, when you watch a movie and it's so engrossing and you're completely zoned in, the time flies by, you know, things are happening around you in the room and you're just not even aware of what's going on. You know, maybe your laundry goes off and you didn't hear it, things like this. You're captivated by the experience. That is what living through PMDD is like, it just hijacks you to where it's really difficult for you to tell what's happening to you because it is you, you, you know, even though it's not something actually is happening to you, you're experiencing a reproductive mood disorder, but it feels like it is you. And it's also really hard to tell that, Hey, you only feel like this for 10, 14 days per month per cycle. And then it shifts. And in the beginning, you know, my mom was taking me to um, different gynecologists early on and mental health practitioners. And they were just kept saying, you know, this is normal. It will, it will level out because she recognized she had menstruated. Right. And she recognized that this pattern in my behavior and that that wasn't normal because Mm -hmm. she didn't live through that. Her friends, she didn't see that severity before. But we kept being told it will, um, it will change. It will get better. And we were hopeful for that. And I tried, you know, many medications and things like that, but it, it really was half of the cycle where I shifted into a different person. And that's why bipolar disorder is the most common misdiagnosis for PMDD because of that dramatic shift in mood and personality tendencies and things like that. And so I would go from being bubbly, being outgoing, um, to not being able to get out of bed for days on end, not being able to feed myself, not being able to complete like basic hygiene or tasks, you know, clean my room. I was in high school at the time, so I didn't have a job early on, but I just could not function. Um, hysterical crying, just creating these very dramatic, situations between friends and boyfriends and losing friends and um, just very unpredictable and impulsive behaviors, a lot of coping 
Mm. with drugs and alcohol because I didn't know how else to cope. You know, I didn't, I wasn't, I was a child basically still, you know, and yeah, it just was a stark difference between who I felt like I was. And so there comes a lot of inner turmoil with that, where you're confused about who you are. And that's already a time where you're already confused about who you are because you're becoming a person (laughs) in your teenage years and sorting it all out. But another level of complexity on top of that. And it was brutal, to be honest, Gemma. (laughs) I really love the honesty. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'm surprised I survived it because it was that bad. And for everyone listening to this, if you've experienced it, you know that you're not alone. And I think that's the big thing to really look at is like you mentioned your mom, you know, she'd been a menstruator, obviously you exist (laughs) and she'd been surrounded by other menstruators, you know, through her teenage years, her young adult years, her adult years, her motherhood years. And she hadn't recognized that that was a normal process that you were experiencing. Whereas today, you know, let's fast forward from then to now, 2023, there is so many people who experience these imbalances in the cycle and this experience of vulnerability and shift of mood and energy and cognitive behavior. And they don't know whether that's actually normal or they don't know whether that's actually just an imbalance. And we, we actually can look into that and there's more things you can do. And just a side rant to that is that the Fucking marketing industry and the media out there really plays into the normality of being a moody fucking bitch (laughs) when actually Mm -hmm. that's not true. Like movies are a great example of how much support they give to that's actually normal for you to be, or don't go near her. She's about to menstruate, you know, this whole Mm pre-menstrual experience. And I'm like, let's change that. Like where's the, where's the, the actual creation of what's really possible? Um, you know, we could go on a massive rant about how they do that for birth for women too, but focusing on the <laughs> menstrual cycle. Um, do you see that too? Do you, like, I know we live in different countries, but do you see that marketing is really played into the normality of that as well? Mm. Yeah, I think that that stigma has just been there for so long. It's hard to shake it. And there is humor, you know, with the work I do, I try to bring humor because it is a way to process the trauma that you go through experiencing an undiagnosed and misdiagnosed reproductive mood disorder. So like kind of finding the nuance there of we can joke about this, but not at the expense of the people suffering because it, it just, it really delays people getting help when they think that it's normal and getting really clear on the distinction of, yes, we will feel differently in different phases of the menstrual cycle. That is normal and natural, but becoming suicidal before you get your period, right? The severity of that, that is not, that does not fall in the category of normal. Um, And that's not funny, you know? really for the person experiencing it. We can certainly make Mm -hmm. jokes about it, but when you're in it and it, it comes with a like 30 to 34% attempt rate for suicide when depression is a 10% attempt rate, like, yeah, it's, it's life and death. I didn't know those stats. They are fucking high. I hope everyone doesn't mind. I'm really getting into this topic. They're really (laughs) high. 
Like it's devastating. Mm-hmm. Well, how many people are actually undiagnosed or misdiagnosed? So the statistics are not fully accurate as they never are totally. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I suspect it's much higher and we just don't have the diagnoses. Right. Yeah. And we're also very conditioned. Like I just got a message this morning from a student who's part of cyclical school and she's got a daughter and you know, that she has been dismissed for months. We're talking like six to nine months and her daughter bleeds continually for 20 to 30 days, every cycle. She's done all the tests, like literally all the tests. And she's just at wit's end. She's like, my daughter is only 14. Like this is not acceptable. And I think that a lot of the medical industry, particularly older trained people in the medical industry, that they're, you know, yeah, medicine has changed a lot in 20 years. So if you studied 20 years ago, as opposed to now, like there's a lot of different advancements. And so I think that the older, and I'm not classifying an age, I'm just saying those who've been practicing longer, you know, their acceptance of things is like, oh, well, that's just part of normality. Well, it might've been back then, but it's not anymore. And we know that there's a really important shift and change going on there. And we can make, we can make significant changes as well to support that. So there's a whole lot that goes into it. And those stats are really, really high. So thank you. Yeah. For I mean, it's like a major quality of life issue is what it really comes mm. down to the people who are living with this, even diagnosed, but not getting adequate, you know, results with treatment. Um, they're living for half of the month, you know, they're living for two weeks. And what happens when you have that dramatic shift from a high and low. It's not, you just, you have your period and you come back online and everything's hunky dory again. No, you have to do damage control for all the messes figuratively and literally that you made in your life. You maybe lost your job during that time. You maybe lost your housing during that time, relationship struggles between family and intimate partners. And I mean, it just as like a bomb goes off in your life and you don't just go back to living, you pick the pieces up just in time for it to start again, you know, and when luteal comes back around. So it really is a major quality of life issue. It sounds very isolating is like the word that I Mm -hmm. I feel and the analogy metaphor you gave before. I, I love analogies for me. It kind of, without it being a lived experience, only you can tell me if this feels resonant to you is that it feels like you're in the quicksand and you can't get out of the quicksand. So you're panicking in the quicksand. And so what happens? The quicksand just sucks you in deeper. Whereas Mm -hmm. it's the people around you that can see what's going on from the outsider's perspective. It's kind of like that out of the bowl look when you're looking in on Mm -hmm. the bowl and Mm -hmm. um, very isolating, um, especially when there's no one to really resonate with or who can really understand what you're going through because the chances of someone actually being able to openly express, like express that without being seen as seen or labeled differently (laughs) is, Mm -hmm. is quite low. And I think there's more and more availability today. And I'd love to know what was your transition going from recognizing, and obviously this wasn't something that was a, you know, discussed as a disorder back then, but recognizing that you had this state of a luteal phase for your own personal cycle, where did you transition? Because you are now the educator that you don't have to live in that way all the time. And there are changes that can be made and supportive things that can be put in place. So where, what was your kicking resonance that made you have a Mm -hmm. shift in your own cycle experience? 
Yeah, it was, you know, a series of changes, but there was a culmination where it, I lost everything and I nearly lost my life. I was trying to enter a relationship responsibly that had, I had took with me on this terrible journey for five years on and off all of my symptoms massively impacting the quality and the toxicity of that relationship. And we wanted to give it a go, both moving to the same place. Um, and so I, I thought, you know, I'm going to get on a hormonal contraceptive. That's what they say. I have tried multiple of these in the past. This was all still before I knew what PMDD was. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I got on the hormonal contraceptive and then proceeded. How old were you at this stage? Sorry to like cut you off. I was 27. 27. 27. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so you'd already been menstruating for what? Seven plus seven, 14 years at that stage, roughly. Yeah. It was 17 years that I lived with it undiagnosed and misdiagnosed until I discovered after, yeah, after this wow. experience so this in is a couple, 2017. So this is a couple of years before that actually had occurred. So you moved in with your partner mm-hmm. thinking this is going to be great after starting the hormonal contraception back to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I had a very adverse reaction to it and I had had adverse reactions in the past, but I didn't have the self-awareness. I wasn't doing any symptom mapping or cycle tracking. And, you know, you, you, it's hard once you're on a medication to know how you were before it's just gets very murky. And so started the, I started the medication. I started noticing physical symptoms as well as psychological symptoms. Uh, the relationship started to disintegrate and they, and I became increasingly suicidal and they, you know, said, Hey, it's going to take you three months to kind of sort this out. So just stick with it. And by the time the three months came, I had lost multiple jobs that I was working at the time. My housing, my partner had left, you know, that relationship blew up and I was questioning whether I could continue to survive living like this, you know, and I had felt like I had tried everything. This was still before getting the diagnosis, but this was the solution. I tried the SSRIs. I, you know, I had been misdiagnosed as bipolar and treated with antipsychotics. Like I did all the things. And this was like the final ditch effort trying to prepare myself to not ruin another relationship. And it was the opposite. It completely destabilized me beyond what I was already experiencing. So instead of those 14 days of, of symptoms of severe psychological and physical symptoms, it went to all the days of the month, Wow! you know, and I was taking a birth control. So it wasn't a true cycle, right? So all of the days that I was taking it rather than the two weeks of pre of premenstrual PMDD symptoms that I previously was experiencing. And so it was a really dark time and I hit a crossroads where I felt like I'm going to die because I can't continue living like this. I'm getting off the medication, obviously, but I, I can't, I still can't go on like this. I'm 28, you know, 27 at this time. And it's just time to get this together. Like I can't continue living like this. Um, so what am I going to do? And I decided to dive into the research. This is when I discovered PMDD. I read the symptom list and I just sat dumbfounded for hours. Like we're looking at the screen, like what 
is this? I check all the boxes, finally got a, a official diagnosis and then started looking at other options for symptom management and reduction because I was so traumatized by that particular experience on hormonal contraceptive. And that, that had probably been the 14th contraceptive I had taken Gemma, like wow. 17 years of this, you know, and yeah. definitely can remember other times when it exacerbated my symptoms, but I just didn't have the understanding of what was going on. And then I found a new way to manage and it actually worked. And within three months, I had a symptom-free period for the first time in my life. And I was just three months. That's angry and happy and confused that that was even possible. And having that cycle where you your period just comes and you were like, oh, I didn't cut myself. I didn't you know, want to die. I didn't quit my job and create all this drama and lock myself in the bedroom for two weeks. Like, oh, that was the moment where I realized why my life had been the way that it had just been totally shitty and I couldn't achieve anything and I couldn't excel. And my friends had kids and master's degrees and were getting their doctorates. And I literally couldn't get out of bed. Oh, this is why not because something is fundamentally wrong with me as a person, but I am experiencing a severe reproductive mood disorder. And to live through the experience of having a symptom-free cycle for the first time, that was really the only time where I could have that paradigm shift and start to accept myself and work towards healing myself. Um, Because every other time it was a completely different experience psychologically and physically. I'm kind of going on a tangent, but <laughs> I love tangents. Um, this is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Um, at the time, maybe not feeling beautiful, but the fact that it took three months, you know, like what can be achieved in three months. And I'm a big believer, and I've always said this for like well over 10, 12 years, is that life cycles change every three months. You know, like you can change where you live within three months. Your job could change in three months. Your relationship status could change. Your friendship statuses could change. You know, the dynamics in your family can change. Like so much can happen in a three-month period of time. Like if you're listening to this, think back to like three months ago, like what were you doing then that could be different now? Like so much can happen. And wow, three months, that's incredible. And so like if people are listening to this and they're like, oh my God, how did you do that? Like, what would you say to someone who's in the, in the same position, who's about to like throw in the towel of all the things that could be possible thinking that they're possible, but are throwing the towel in because they're like, I've fucking done everything and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just mm-hmm. done with this experience and I'll do whatever the doctors tell me to do or whatever it might be. What would you say to these people that you wish someone had said to you before discovering PMDD? Well, a few things. First of all, I just wish that somebody would have validated to me that not everyone goes through this. Like this Mm. is not how it's supposed to be because I just accepted it for almost two decades that this was just how it was. And that is not how it is. And you have no quality of life. Like if you're living like that, just full stop not normal. Right. Um, and like I said, you can be sucked up into it and not know what's happening, but 
the menstrual cycle education is huge. And that's something why I started doing what I was doing, because I was at such a desperate point that I had to figure all of this out on my own. I didn't have a Gemma or Jess to teach me, you know, menstrual health education and integrative tools for management and reduction. I had to pave the way there was no one. And it took me, yeah, it took me three months, right? But it took me years to really get this under control and figure out how to manage it. But I, what I mostly wish is that somebody would have said there are other options for treatment because I just kept going back to the doctor and that's, the options were the same. Antidepressants, birth control. I could not tolerate symptoms that came with either of those. And so I was at a dead end. And when you feel like you have no other options and you are psychologically suffering that much, this is where that 30, 34% comes in. You feel like your only way out is to take your own life, you know? And that is so sad because it's not. There are hundreds of modalities, tons of different protocols that we can put into place to help you change the experience um, that aren't those things. And you can combine all of that, the integrative work with those things, if you want to take a combined approach, but I wish I would have known that there were other options because I wouldn't have suffered for as long, you know? Mm. And there's always more options, like always. And I think that, um, you only know what you know. And most of the time we don't know everything. Well, all the time we don't know everything. And so, I think that's where I love you when you mentioned about having integrative approach, because you can't, it doesn't just take one person to build a house. It takes a team, Mm. you know, it doesn't just take one person to, you know, to sail a ship, like, unless it's a tiny ship and you're a solo sailor around the world, but you know, it takes a team of people to sail a ship, you know, it doesn't take one person to make a baby. It takes a team. And then it takes a team to deliver the baby or help the mother feel supported as a mother. And so we need to recognize that as women, and I'd love to like get some, we're going to go, we could just keep talking forever on this topic. Um, so I'm cautious of time, but I'm a really big believer that when it comes to women is that we've for so long, we've been taught that, you know, the feminine is rising and I can do everything on my own and I'm strong and I can, you know, anything you can do, I could do menstruating. And so we've really suppressed our ability to turn to our community and to say, Hey, look, I'm feeling like shit today. Can you come rub my shoulders? Like, could you deliver me dinner and I'll deliver you dinner tomorrow night? Like, like imagine calling up a best friend and being able to do that. And I think when you find the friend who you can do that with, it's really, really fantastic, but we don't, we're not educated that it's good to have support. We're not educated that it's great to have a coach and an acupuncturist and a herbalist and a homeopath and a chiropractor and Oh, we only do that when we're sick, but what if you did that just to amplify your health? And so I think it's really important to, like, that's my outlook on it when it comes to integration of health and looking at how we can have multiple multiple support. Women just, we need to learn that it's okay to ask for help and Mm -hmm. that that's what amplifies us as women. What are your thoughts on that? 100% agree. Yeah. That collaborative care team can be game changing. And I think a lot of people, you know, the response that I get when I talk about collaborative care is just um, a financial barrier, which is true, but there's so many ways to get support, even with financial constraints. Um, I 
a lot of people dismiss, right? There's just an automatic dismissal. And I really encourage people to push past any limiting thoughts that they have around getting the support that they need because there are ways. And like I said, I did this all by myself in this in the beginning for years until I became a practitioner. And um, that didn't mean that I didn't read books and and have mentors, even though they didn't know they were mentoring me. But there are ways for you to support yourself um, with a collaborative care team, even if it's not a direct hire, you know. Mm, I love that. Thank you for adding that in. And <laughs> this has been so beautiful and vulnerable and open and transparent. So Jess, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us for this mini series about understanding menstruation and having real life conversations around menstruation. I think this is one aspect of menstruation that is all the menstrual cycle as a whole that is really under talked about and really undershared vulnerably. And I know you do this really, really well in your own platforms, but we need, you know, we need more of you. We need to duplicate you. <laughs> so yes, thank more you. The better. <laughs> mm, right. So thank you so much. Do you have anything you'd love to wrap up and say to any of our listeners before sharing where they can find you if they want to learn more about what you do now to support people with PMDD and your her mood mentoring ship? Yeah. Yeah. I just want to spread that message of hope, you know, because I did, I, if you would have told me 17 years ago that I could live a totally fulfilling life and have a thriving relationship and make my dreams come true and not be suffering so severely each month, I wouldn't have believed you because I didn't know that there was an alternative, but, um, it is possible. I'm not going to say it's easy. Um, but you can feel better. Absolutely. Even if you're living with a reproductive mood disorder. Mm, Thank you. Now, how can people find you? Yes. So my practice is called Her Mood Mentor. We have a website. I'm most active on Instagram. I do a lot of education there. We have many free resources. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just pop on over say hi. I'd love to hear from you. The DMs are always open and yeah, that's where I am. Well, Thank you so much for being here and sharing. The way I found Jess was through her amazing reels because they are very educational. Her whole feed is educational. So if this is an avenue on a topic and an area you would love to learn about to support someone else or for yourself, please go and check out Jess. I'll pop all the links in the show notes. I'm so blessed to have you, you know, a part of this. So thank you so much for being here and sharing and dedicating some of your time to be with us. Well, thank you so much, Gemma. Thanks for raising awareness about PMDD. I really appreciate it so much. And I know the community as a whole does as well. Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly. So you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.